Hey, Notorious Bakersfield fans. Notorious Bakersfield, the book, is available for purchase. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll love the book. Notorious Bakersfield, the book, dives deeper into the most infamous crimes, incidents, and personalities that have shaped Bakersfield. This literary adaptation uncovers 30 astonishing true stories from Bakersfield and Kern County's last century. Notorious stories from a notorious community. To purchase your copy, go to Amazon.com or your Amazon app and search for Notorious Bakersfield, the book. This is the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of this podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. Notorious Bakersfield fans, there's a day planned just for you. Friday, February 9th, is Notorious Bakersfield Listener Appreciation Day. Festivities will kick off at 6.30 p.m. at Rusty's Pizza, 1500 Weibel Road, If you haven't gotten your copy of Notorious Bakersfield, the book, it will be available for purchase there. If you've already gotten a copy, bring it by, get it autographed, and eat some free pizza. You heard that right, free pizza. Carolyn Harvey, the co-author with me of Notorious Bakersfield, the book, is going to be in town. So you'll have an opportunity to meet Carolyn. Notorious Bakersfield Listener Reader Appreciation Day, Friday, February 9th at 6.30 p.m. at Rusty's Pizza, 1500 Weibel Road. There will be free pizza, free Notorious Bakersfield stickers, and door prizes. And in addition to the book being available for purchase, there will also be Notorious Bakersfield t-shirts. So swing by February 9th at 6.30 p.m. Rusty's Pizza, 1500 Weibel Road. Twenty-year-old Ryan Greider had a quick temper and was prone to violence. He feuded with virtually every member of his family. In March 2002, he assaulted his 18-year-old girlfriend when she broke up with him. He kicked and punched her. Greider was arrested and later pleaded no contest to that crime. The court ordered him to attend anger management classes. Thursday, August 22nd, 2002, Greider attended one of those anger management classes. By that evening, he had murdered his 73-year-old grandmother. This is Rosedale Psycho. So yeah, my grandmother raised my cousin since he was a a toddler. Um, She acquired custody of him. And he pretty much always lived with with her. Uh, My mom would babysit him periodically. But yeah, for the most part, he he was was under her her custody. You know, she gave that kid everything. 
That was Blake Greider explaining how his grandmother, Elsie Greider, took in and raised his cousin Ryan since he was a toddler. Elsie was a natural caregiver. She devoted a significant portion of her life to taking care of others. It began when her eldest son was stricken with polio as a young child. Many family members credited Elsie's therapeutic massages to her son regaining his ability to walk. When she began working outside the home, her caregiver instinct kicked in. She worked with the developmentally disabled. As you heard Blake described, Elsie and her husband took in their grandson, Ryan. She loved him, cared for him, and provided a safe place for him to live from an early age. During the mid-1990s, Elsie found herself assuming the role of caregiver once again. Her husband, Junior, suffered a series of debilitating strokes. He required constant care, and Elsie provided that. In 1998, Elsie's husband, Junior, passed away. And it was just her and Ryan at that point. It was just Elsie and her grandson, Ryan, living in the family home on Holland Street in Rosedale. After becoming a widow, with no one to take care of and some extra time on her hands, Elsie resumed a longtime hobby of hers, bowling. It was a hobby she thoroughly enjoyed, something she had to pause while she cared for her ailing husband. She went back to bowling. She would go bowling uh, at least one night a week, I think once or twice a week. She really, really did enjoy being able to do that again. Family members say Ryan had a short fuse and had a difficult time controlling his temper. Often he'd punch or kick holes in the walls of his grandmother's house. Relatives said he had run-ins with every member of the family. Blake described his cousin Ryan as manipulative, and he knew just how to manipulate his grandmother to get his way. Ryan continued living with his grandma Elsie after he graduated from Centennial High School. You know, a lot of the family were accusing him of doing various things um, and, you know, doing drugs and and whatnot. And she, she defended him on a lot of it. She really did protect him a lot. In 2001, Blake was moving back to Bakersfield and needed somewhere to live. Naturally, Elsie invited Blake to move into her home. I hadn't started living with with my grandmother until uh, 2001 when I moved back from Austin. I spent a year there. She let me move back in. Not long after moving into the Holland Street house with his grandma and cousin Ryan, Blake broke his arm. I, I had broken my arm. You know, part of that, they, they prescribe you a narcotic. Um, in my case, it was Vicodin. And uh, I noticed uh, noticed uh, the bottle getting pre- pretty empty pretty quick. A lot quicker than, than I was taking them. And I suspected Ryan was probably behind it. Ended up putting locks on my doors. Which, that was, that was part of it. Um, the other part, 
You know, he, he, he was starting to, at that point, kind of frighten me a little bit. Um, not, not so much, I wasn't scared, but just unsettled by him. Um, certain things he would say or do, comments, looks that he would give, just didn't, didn't add up to what most normal people would, you know, would express. There was something like in his eyes that just almost like a hollow look. It, it, it wasn't all the time. It just in certain situations, he would have this hollowed look that just didn't didn't make you feel comfortable. He more concerned me than scared me. I'd had a couple of altercations with him, and I knew that he could hurt pretty good. So I wanted to kind of try to avoid that if, if possible. That relationship Ryan was in, where he assaulted the girlfriend and was court-ordered to attend anger management classes, that relationship was over and had been for some time. After a few months, he met another girl and they began dating. But it was short-lived, this latest relationship only lasted a couple of weeks before that girlfriend broke up with him. The day that Grandma was killed, um, I ended up leaving the house uh, earlier that, that afternoon. Um, I usually had to be at work at around five, so I was I guess it was two or three in the afternoon is when I had left. He was at his anger management court that day left my grandmother at the house uh, went to my mom's went to work thinking everything was normal got to work 5 o'clock did my thing so Blake left the house around 2 or 3 that afternoon typically Ryan would get home from his anger management classes at around 4 in the afternoon so it's assumed that's when he came home on August 22nd 2002. Ryan later claimed when he arrived home, he went to his bedroom. There, he attempted to cut his wrists with a disposable razor. He said he became enraged when his grandmother opened his bedroom door without knocking. She just opened the door and confronted him. This was enough to trigger Ryan's violent temper. Using a 13-inch double-edged decorative dagger, one that normally was on display in the house, Ryan attacked his 73-year-old grandmother from behind. An autopsy later revealed Elsie Greider suffered 14 stab wounds to her throat. Five of them went completely through her neck. When he was finished stabbing his grandmother to death, Ryan went to the kitchen and made himself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and drank milk from the refrigerator. At some point, one of Elsie's daughters called. Ryan answered the phone. In a calm voice, he told his aunt that Elsie couldn't come to the phone. After eating his sandwich, Ryan drove a couple of blocks to a friend's house. He told the people at this residence that he just killed his grandmother and it appeared he was telling the truth. His clothes were covered in blood. 
Ryan didn't stick around. He got back into his car and took off. The people who just had this shocking encounter called 911. Kern County Sheriff's deputies were dispatched to Elsie Greider's home to conduct a welfare check. Front door was unlocked. When the deputies ventured inside, they were met with a horrific, bloody crime scene. The elderly widow's body was discovered in her bedroom. When Brian took off after going to that friend's house, he drove to his maternal grandparents' house and told them the same thing. His grandfather called 911. Ryan was taken into custody without incident. The dagger, the murder weapon, was located in the back seat of his car. After his arrest, he was taken to the hospital to treat those self-inflicted wounds to his wrists. Somewhere between 8 and 8.30. I get a phone call from one of my aunts. Just this very frightened sound in her voice. And she said, don't come home tonight. Ryan killed grandma. And those words just stunned me. And I was just like, what? Because that's not a phone call you expect to get at work. You know, those, those words, Ryan killed grandma. And I'm thinking... It's got to be, it had to be an accident. This couldn't be, you know, an intentional thing. I ended up going up to my boss and I said, hey, I have to leave. I've just gotten word that my grandmother was was killed. Uh, I don't know details. Um, All I know is that I just got this phone call. So uh, I ended up rushing, rushing home to the house. And that's when I discovered... Uh, Kern County Sheriff was there. Um, they had it all taped off with the caution tape, crime scene, and all that. Yeah, that was uh, that was not not something that I went to work thinking I was going to come home to. I did explain to the cops. I said, you know, I do have some medication that I need to take. Um, it's in my bedroom, and I described where the bedroom was. And I t- told them where to find, you know, the spare key. And the officer said that I was speaking to, he said, don't worry about it because we've already been into every room. Uh, they actually broke the door down. <laughs> after, after we left the house, it was about an hour or two later, probably around 10 o'clock. Uh, we all congregated at uh, one of my aunt's homes. And we watched the news. We were flipping through all the local channels trying to get whatever information we could um, because that was our only source of information. Uh, the sheriff's department wasn't talking to us. You know, they, I, I guess out of respect because of how, how gruesome the, the scene was, you know, they, they wanted to maintain some kind of decorum, I guess. Longtime neighbors were in disbelief. They were shocked that Ryan could brutally murder the one person in the world who showed him the most love and compassion. They said Elsie worshipped her grandson.
Inside Ryan's bedroom, detectives found Polaroid pictures of the suspect. In one, he was brandishing a knife and holding it in a threatening manner. Written in his handwriting, bottom of that Polaroid, were the words, American Psycho. In another Polaroid picture, he was holding an axe. The video of American Psycho was also found in his bedroom. He did like his violent, violent movies, you know, violent programming. Anything where people were being hurt. Stuff that most people would have a casual interest in, he seemed to have a more obsessive interest in. He did like his uh, uh, American Psycho. The Bakersfield Californian reported that the reason Ryan's last girlfriend broke up with him was because she grew tired of Ryan constantly telling her he was going to kill his grandmother and commit suicide. Blake maintains he never heard his cousin make these threats. Elsie Greider was survived by two sons, three daughters, 11 grandchildren, and a great-grandchild. Ryan Greider ended up making a plea agreement with the district attorney. He pled guilty to second-degree murder rather than stand trial for first-degree murder. At his sentencing hearing, family members didn't hold back. One of Ryan's aunts said, quote, We all hate you for what you've done. I wish you had killed yourself, unquote. He was sentenced to 15 years to life plus one year for using a knife in the commission of that crime. According to family members, Ryan Greider was paroled from prison during the COVID pandemic. It appears he remains free. Three years after Elsie's death, her son, who she nursed through his bout with childhood polio, passed away from cancer. Blake says the only positive thing about his grandmother's untimely death is that it spared her from having to live through that. He says he's grateful his grandmother didn't have to witness her son's death. Resources used to research this story, the Bakersfield Californian and Blake Greider. Thank you, Blake, for taking the time to talk to me about your family's tragedy. Remember, put on your calendars the Notorious Bakersfield Listener Reader Appreciation Event February 9th at 6.30 p.m. at Rusty's Pizza, 1500 Weibel Road. Notorious Bakersfield, the book will be available for purchase. And if you've already got a copy and need it autographed, come on by. We'll have free pizza and some door prizes and Notorious Bakersfield stickers and T-shirts, Notorious Bakersfield T-shirts to purchase. This is Robert Peterson. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with another Notorious Bakersfield story. Until then, stay safe, stay out of trouble, don't become a future episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. Just helping you out with your facts there.